0: Welcome to the Exploring Unschooling Podcast. For countless parents, the journey to unschooling has redefined childhood and transformed their family relationships. Are you curious? Together, let's explore what living and learning looks like without school. Hello, Explorers. I'm Pamela Riccia and this is episode number 251 of the podcast. It's the 11th of November, 2020, as I record this intro. And this week I have a really lovely conversation with Lucia Silva about unschooling as a lifestyle and her journey so far. She shares some great insights. We talk about how her understanding of unschooling has grown over the past few years and how what she's learned has benefited all her relationships. We also dive into the idea of expectations and how conversations with our families become so much more fun and interesting when we drop the agenda. And Lucia shares some amazing aha moments she has experienced while having conversations with her kids, as well as her realization that every unschooling family's life will be completely unique. I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. As a personal update, Things continue to bubble along pretty quickly. As I mentioned last week, I've leaned into embracing it and I'm enjoying the energy and excitement of doing this thing and then this thing and then this thing. It's a season of transitions with some projects deep and full of finishing energy and others with the fresh energy of new ideas. It really is fascinating to pull up for a moment now and then and see how they all weave together. And I want to take a moment to thank everyone who has chosen to support the podcast through Patreon. And a big welcome to new patrons, Eleanor and Rachel Ortman. Hi, Eleanor. Hi, Rachel. I deeply appreciate all my patrons. Your generous support helps pay for the hosting and transcription, as well as my time spent creating new episodes each week. It's instrumental in keeping the growing podcast archive freely available to anyone who's curious and wants to explore the fascinating world of unschooling. If you'd like to join my community of patrons and scoop up some great rewards along the way, check out the Exploring Unschooling page at patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash exploring unschooling. And now let's dive into my conversation with Lucia. Lucia. Welcome. I'm Pamela Ricchia from livingjoyfully.ca, and today I'm here with Lucia Silva. Hi, Lucia. Hi, Pam. (laughs) Now, we have gotten to know each other a bit over the last few months in the network, which I've loved, and I am very excited to learn more about your unschooling journey. So to get us started, can you share with us a bit about you and your family and what everybody's interested in right now?
1: Sure. Um, Thank you so much, because I love listening to these calls and to your podcast. It's so fun to be a part of. And um, I love this part of it, too, where we hear about everybody's families and how they. So um, so our family is me. I'm Lucia. My husband is Micah, my daughter, Eva, and Levon um, is my son. So uh, let's see. Let's start with Eva. She She's 10 and um, if she's not doing something else, she's reading, usually. So she reads several books a day. She loves um, graphic novels, character-driven novels. Um, I think that is what really motivates her about narrative and story, um, especially in literature, is is the character. So that's what she reads for. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of her default. She usually starts the day. Um, drawing or making something she does a lot of um pen and ink pencil drawing and she's just started doing kind of more ink like sumi ink and Mm. stuff like that kind of two color um she loves any kind of making art crafting but she tends to draw a lot and that's kind of since she was little that's how she started her day we used to do it together and she's kind of eases into the morning now. <laughs> Um she's all she's an amazing dancer she loves dancing she loves ballet contemporary making up her own dances so she's usually doing that about the house somewhere and now that it's it's different because she usually has four dance classes a week but not for the past six seven where are we now I don't know in that, <laughs>
0: <love tracking> that.
1: <laughs> so it's all different but she's she misses that a lot she loves that you know, give Eva a hard, rigorous ballet bar any day. She just loves that. But she also really loves the creative part of it. So she loves listening to music, really varied music on Spotify. She has great taste and (laughs) she loves to play piano and sing. So she's usually doing something around that or playing on the Slackline. We love to play games. Our whole family loves tabletop games and she loves to play, Like speed type games like Dutch Blitz or Blink or Set, matching games like that. Rummy tile. So that's kind of her thing. Um, She loves to cook. She's kind of, yeah, just into all kinds of things. Um, Levon will be seven in uh, about a week. So. Um, He wanted me to be sure to say that he's six because he's not. I keep saying, you know, oh, he's seven because he's practically seven, but he's still six and he'll be seven in a few days. And right now he's super into coding. Um, He's learning JavaScript. He started learning it through Blockly and now is kind of working more with the actual JavaScript text. He does Python a little bit with Micah. And he's um, become interested in coding for like kind of mini video games that are, that you can code on this platform that he works with. Um, so he's very into that whole idea of coding, coding for robotics, coding for automation. Like he loves learning about that. And he's kind of just at the cusp of understanding how he can manipulate those for things that he can actually see. He's always loved making things like contraptions, um, you know. Swords or shields or catapults or if we don't have something, he wants to make it. Like mm-hmm. he heard about three D printing, so he wanted to make a three D printer. So know yeah, he has a lot of big ideas about how to make things, and he doesn't like anything to be thrown away because he wants to make things out of it. So he has a large collection of cast off items, bits of recycling, whatever, and he's always using a lot of duct tape and making. Things and um, he's really into martial arts. He usually he practices Taekwondo and Capoeira, um, which we haven't been doing because of the pandemic. So, but he still does a lot at home. And for a long time, um, it's probably like a year, two years ago, maybe now that he and he has been inventing his own martial art that he calls Jujutsu Kormir which comes with its own moves and its own language. And he still does that a lot, you know, kind of, it pops up very so often. He also loves music and he's just starting to get really interested in reading. So he's doing that a lot more, especially graphic novels. Um, and he loves story is always. So for him, that's where the reading or TV shows or even um just talking and relating to the world. He wants to figure out the story. What's driving people? Why do they do this? Why is this this way? He's really into the big meaty conversation and pulling out story from things. So that's what he's about. Um And uh, Micah is 42. We're both 42. We're a day apart. And he is a professor of political science at the University of Georgia here in Athens, which is why we live here. Um, we're from uh, Los Angeles and the kids were born in San Diego, but we've been living in Athens for the past five years due to his job. So he does that. And he's also, he was a professional working musician, a touring musician for in in another era of life. So he still, he plays a lot of music, guitar and piano. And that's always Happening, and he's also really into math and data driven coding kind of stuff. So he'll always be reading some kind of math book or something like that. And he loves, he's always reading really interesting literature and stuff like that. Um, and me, I am 42, and uh, I I also love making things. So any kind of, um, kind of move around, but I've loved, I love knitting. Right now I'm really into sewing, into sewing clothes and um, uh, kind of diving into new fiber arts, dabbling. And sometimes I get really into it or sometimes I kind of try out things. So depending on where I am with that. And then like Eva, I, if I'm not doing something else, I'm reading. So, and I also really love character driven literature and um, literary nonfiction and I read a lot of poetry. And so that's sort of always been a kind of frame for my life. I think that's, that's a tip of the iceberg of what <laughs> yeah, we are doing. <laughs>
0: exactly, right? I mean, that is again why I love this, this part too. Like, that's why I love to start with it, the introduction, because it's just so to see all the little pieces and to see the pieces that are like uniquely each person's yet how they overlap and weave together too between the the different members of the family and you know as you talked about for yourself how you know sometimes you know your your interests wax and wane and, and your kids see that and that's like just from you sharing that that you're totally okay with that that it's normal that things you know, um, ebb and flow, and, and we just let see where they take us. And it's so fun. And and that iceberg metaphor. I mean, it's perfect. Because yeah, you can't give a, an entire picture of somebody if, just because even we don't know all the stuff bubbling beneath the surface, right. and everything. And it's just yeah. so fascinating to think about the different things, yet how they weave there or the the threads between them, you know, when you're thinking big, bigger picture, like how, how the music and the dance and I mean, I know, because for many years, I um, was very involved in ballet, when I was when I was young, right. And I just, I know, the, the music, how that weaves in there and the technicality of the ballet, but also the freedom of the, you know, more contemporary that the choreography, like it's just, just a beautiful, beautiful picture. Thank you so much. for sharing. Uh, so, thanks.
1: Yeah. And I, I really think too, you know, we see those <clears throat> through lines as you've mentioned with your kids, I think it's it Joseph who talked about always being interested in story and how that, and, Those I I couldn't have predicted, of course, when Levon was a very verbal one year old that he would be interested in coding. Right. But now I see that in the context of his intense conversations about figuring things out, figuring out how they work, how to manipulate. You know, it kind of drops into place. And those variations have really helped me see in my in this this season of my life, which is different from another season of my life where I was super focused on a passion oriented career that was all consuming yeah. and allowing this to be about kind of feeling okay with putting something aside, moving onto something new and not having just one. Yeah. I, so I've learned that from my kids for sure. Seeing how they're, you know, that kind of just arrange all these little pieces and it makes this really comprehensive mind.
0: Yeah, no, that's beautiful. And there was just one other connection that popped up for me there that I wanted to share because you know how we talk about how, you know, when we're very, when we're passionately interested in something, um, yet we can discover the whole world through that, right? We, all the different pieces. So I was up until like, um, mid high school, very involved in ballet, right? And um, so as I was talking earlier about, you know, the the technical aspects and the artistic aspects of it, I eventually became like for work was a computer programmer. And I could see the threads of the technicality, the love for the details in mm-hmm. the programming coding, yet the creativity of you wanting to do it as efficiently as effectively as beautiful like code- coding is beautiful. So yeah, just thinking of those two yeah. things like ballet and computer programming, how mm-hmm. on earth can they be related? <laughs> they are at the root it's just that's so cool oh <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, I love that that's fascinating I also really relate to that <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. exactly
0: <laughs> okay so we should probably move on because I would love to hear how you discovered unschooling and what your family's journey looked like to get there you're kind of um
1: yeah I thought a lot about this because um there's a lot of, we had a very meandering step forward, step to the side, step back journey to where we are now. I'm sure it's true for many people, but there's so many parts of it. And I think in terms of like how I discovered unschooling, always for me, the first thing I think that planted this seed in my mind at when I was, I think I was 15 or 16. I definitely wasn't older than, I think I was. You know, 15 or 16. And I discovered this book in our local library called The Day I Became an Autodidact by Kendall Haley. And it's a memoir um, by this woman who was then a girl. She wrote it when she was 15 or 16. I think she was, she was 16. And she also lives in Los Angeles. And she um, decided she was done with school. She went to a very... Um, well-regarded private school in Los Angeles and obviously, you know, had lots of academic pressures and so on and so forth. She came from a writer family and she decided to graduate at 16 and kind of finish her credits and leave school. So for her, that was the path, you know, she didn't drop out of school or leave school early. She graduated at 16 and kind of in the, I think it was written in 1989 or 90, something like that. She leaves school and she, because she felt she found that it was limiting her passion to learn she was just one of those people who kind of belong to another era i think she loved classic movies and she liked to read plato and somerset mom and write these kind of witty dry plays and mm-hmm. so she leaves school and designs her whole her her version of what she felt a full education was and her parents are fully supportive of this. And so she reads, she's going to read everything ever published, you know, sort of thing of the whole the classics and she writes a couple plays and she acts in a play. And I was so taken with that. That is, I really related to that in a different, I had different tastes maybe in some ways, but I really related to that idea of feeling so limited by the constraints of what I had to do all day long and the things, intellectual and creative pursuits that I had. And so I I definitely, I know I I petitioned my parents to let me (laughs) do the same thing, which was, you know, I think they, they listened to me for sure, but that was not an option in the world that we lived in, in our family, in our milieu. That was just I was like, "Mm, I don't think so. (laughs) That sounds so cool, (laughs) but... Yes, yes, exactly. (laughs) You know, and I, which I totally understand. You know, there were a lot, there were ideas about college and how one was going to get a scholarship to college and things like that, that of course were just beyond where we were at that point. But that lodged in my brain as the ultimate. And so many years passed (laughs) between then and now. Um... But I think somewhere my younger brain had retained that idea and, and that belief that that was a viable path of of learning. And so much transpired and I became sort of more in, interested in educational reform and revolutionizing public education and things like that's where my focus was. And it was still very school oriented. And Fast forward many years, Eva went to um, a Montessori school here in Athens, the first year we moved here. I felt, and homeschooling was not on the table. Um, I knew a lot more about it by then. I felt it was not for me, um, for various reasons at that time. Anyway, she went to kindergarten, and it wasn't horrible. You know, Eva is very much a she's gonna be okay everywhere but my I didn't want okay <laughs> you know I don't want okay right and that was a year of real disconnection for us even I have always we're always very things changed a lot you know we'd moved and she was in school full-time I was home with Yvonne and we met some a group of homeschoolers here in Athens where homeschooling is much you know this is the south so homeschooling of various kinds is much more um, prevalent common so I met this group of homeschoolers and I kind of saw I thought and they were a very varied group and I thought oh they look like they like their life like (laughs) their kids look happy they look happy with each other they get to do fun things during the day they're not rushing somewhere in the morning and making lunch and I So we started, Micah and I started talking about it more and, you know, we try, I went to meetings about forming secular co-ops and still trying to figure out the schooling version of homeschooling, you know, Mm -hmm. anyway, we had decided that we would try it for the coming, for her first grade year. But in March, March through April of the end of that kindergarten year, um, we all got the flu for the first time really bad. and kind of one after the other, you know, it was like Eva, then Levon, then me, then Micah. So all told we were home for a little over two weeks. Nobody went to school because Mm -hmm. someone was sick. And we, we had never been that sick, all of us together. Some of us had never been that sick individually. And even so, it was like the best two weeks we'd had since we'd moved to Georgia. Because <laughs> we were home and we, there was no, let's keep up with school or, what you know, because we we're all just sort of being together in a very intense way. Um, and we didn't go back. We've never been back to school after that. You know, I called uh-huh. the school and said, sorry, we're not we're done. We thought (laughs) we're doing the same way. Why would we stick this out? You know, And just to finish the school year seemed like, oh, and we just sort of, that was it. And so in the next, oh, it was probably six months. You definitely through that whole, I think probably from then through the summer, through September or something, we did the version of deschooling that I think is common for any homeschool, or is recommended when you leave school, it's different from what I understand now about really deep unschooling, deschooling. You kind of more dismantling, but the, I think of it more as decompression, where we didn't worry. I didn't worry about curriculum. I didn't worry about what we were doing every day. I was just like. Everything is gonna be fine. Our focus is being together, rebuilding our families, rebuilding our connections, having fun, um, which now I realize is also a way to live permanently. But at the time, <laughs> I didn't really see a timeline on it. And I think I had the freedom of Eva was five and you know, Levon was still a toddler. So and she'd had a year of Montessori too. So which sort of gave me this like ah, she knows how to write in cursive and we're just we're all, we're all right for a while. And over the next few years, we kind of every once in a while, I'd get real fired up about needing to figure out the right way to absorb mathematical thinking. And I'd take I took these courses and how to teach math and teach mathematical thinking and create, you know, we, I bought a lot of curriculum and we would use it for a couple of days, a couple of weeks, a couple, you know, we just kept, I really second guessed my, that joy as being a valid way to live. Um, so I had, a lot, I had a lot to walk through there. And at that time, I think Micah was much more focused on really paying attention to the kids how they looked. And so, and because they were young, you know, sometimes we get those free years in the beginning of really not having that anxiety for different, for, for, I think for different people that anxiety about what schooling should look like or what they're learning, what they're missing out on comes at different ages, maybe related to what we experienced or what our anxieties or whatever. But in those early years, it really was, you know, Micah just kept saying like, kids are doing great. Listen to the conversations we're having. Look look at their self-possession. They're busy all day with their endeavors, you know, of what they're choosing to do. They're making amazing stuff. And I kept going, okay, what about math though? And, you know, that went on for a long time (laughs) and in and out of that. And um, it wasn't until, you know, relatively recently, I think maybe I had started listening to your podcast a little over a year ago or maybe more and this podcast. And um, I had read some of your books and kind of gone in and out of going, yes, yes. And then going, but I don't know if that's right for us. Yes. Okay. I get, but I don't know if that's right. You know, I really, (laughs) 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 there was a lot of back and forth between my instincts and my, um, my willingness to really be present and dive in and my willingness to agree that to opt out completely of something that was all around me. And by that time, our group of homeschoolers, homeschool. I have an amazing community of friends here, a group of families that my kids have become very close with their kids. And we are close in our own ways. And we all school differently. And But every once in a while I go, oh, that sounds fun or, (laughs) or that sounds, um, clear and finite. Like (laughs) we're going to do this from nine to one and then we'll be done. And then I can check off that we've done, we've done school. You've learned something. Um, it took a long time for me to let go of that. And I think really in the past six, seven months of this pandemic, um, of being, you both, I joined the the network, the Living Joyfully Network, I think a month or two, I think in February or something. So it was perfectly timed for me to be really steeped in this community of people who were thinking deeply about exactly the thing that I was deliberating about or waffling about and were going for it in so many different ways. And that is really where we started to rapidly move through all of the parts that we, you know, and just kind of that has been snowballing over the past couple of seasons into just going, okay, I think we've been unschoolers all along in our hearts. <laughs> yeah, <right? laughs> all kids are, un- all people are unschoolers to begin with, right? We learn how <laughs> How to not be okay with that um but yeah i think that that was the the end of the long journey for us in terms of getting to our beginning (laughs) you know if that makes sense like i i now fully step into that and um it's yeah so that was a a long long meandering way of saying that was a long and
0: meandering road (laughs) <laughs> for sure. Well, and you know, I I love that. Thank you for sharing that detail because I think so often people not only think it but have an expectation of themselves that it should just be a switch, like you know, on off thing. Oh, we're unschooling now. Boom. You know what I mean? But you know, it's why so often we talk about it as a journey because. It is so important to be true to yourself and to respect those questions that you have as they bubble up because, or else you're just kind of pushing them down saying, no, I don't do that anymore. I don't do that anymore. But you don't process through them and really understand why. And once, as you come to understand why you're choosing not to do it, it bubbles up a lot less in the future because it's not a question anymore. Because we understand, and I love what you said, you know, we're really kind of unschooling from when we're born, because what we get to eventually is the understanding that this is how humans like to learn and engage with the world, you know, yes. I love the way your your husband's descriptions, of, you know, look at their endeavors, listen to their conversations, you know, they're just living this life fully. And you were actively like processing as these things come up. And yeah, so sometimes that processing was getting distracted by other people's or get like, I mean, I know just having a path, you know, nine to one, this is and this. Tick, tick, tick. Like I mean, I know that that would right now in my life, that would just be lovely. <laughs> right? Right. It just sounds so I don't have to think about this. I just have (laughs) to do it and move on. (laughs) So totally the attraction to that is understandable, but then as you try it, it doesn't work so smoothly. (laughs) And then the cost of it is great.
1: I think for, for our family. Yeah. The cost of enforcing that, um, was great in terms of what we lost in connection, what we lost in happiness and joy, you know, it wasn't horrible, It was better than so many other options, but it didn't feel, I guess maybe it didn't feel true for us, it felt like I was, you know. I'm kind of a systems thinker. I like to find, oh, this is the best way to do this thing. I'm gonna apply that here, you know, like I always like to find out who's done this, who's who's grokked this, figured it out, hacked this thing? okay, I'm gonna do that. <laughs> and yeah, um, I think, you know, sometimes resisting that work of like, ooh, that is deep work. Do I have to do that about everything? And that is some of the resistance for me in the beginning of, oh, that's a and then coming through to through that part of it, I guess I won't say the other side because it's ever evolving, but sort of sinking into the place. Where, and now that that work now is the joy of it, is part of the, you know, that, that emotional, intellectual, interpersonal, self-reflective work that I think was daunting in the beginning of like, I mean, I'm going to be on all day. <laughs> and realizing that, no, I'm going to be a human being all day with my kids who are human being all day. And we're going to figure this out, but you know, that's a whole other thing that took a long time, but I, yeah, I really, I struggled with that a lot in the beginning. And when I feel any inklings of that coming up again, I know it's because I'm not diving in deep enough you know, sort of living up here and being distracted, it's easy to feel that you want to shove some things off your plate. And then I look around and think, well, none of those things really need to be on my plate at all. So
0: (laughs) that, yeah, that insight is just, it is, it is such a fundamental and valuable shift like from that point where it's like, I need to be on all day, because that's how it feels at first, right? And then you said, Oh, no, I just have to be human. Yeah, that's what when we get to the point where we realize I can just be myself. Mm -hmm. Right. And all those wonderful um, things come from there, bubble up from there, the connections, I can actually be me. When I'm engaging with my kids, I don't have to be some version of perfect, you know, watching out for those learning moments, you know, all all those, uh, all those little aspects Mm -hmm. and, and the realization that when, uh, you know, it's happened enough times that when concerns are starting to bubble up, that it's actually because we've pulled out a bit, right. And we're not, we're not right in there with them seeing what is still happening Right. We've been distracted. We started to get in our head. All those. I love that. I love that so much. And and that kind of that leads very nicely into our next question, because it's what we've been talking about, that that first big milestone, right, of choosing not to send our kids to school and looking at the academic pieces. Because so often that's where we're starting. Right. Well, we're replacing their education with something else. So, So all those questions you process through, the different curriculums, how well, but what about math, you know? And then you know, so often what about reading? You know, there there are certain things, certain skills that um we've just conventionally come to believe that they're harder, that they're something that need a different, a different way than just living them, right? Yeah. But what so once you've gotten there, there is the next step in the journey, right? Because unschooling really does grow beyond just looking at the academics into a lifestyle. So, I mean, you've been sharing that as well here and there when you're talking about the, you know, the beautiful things that you see your kids are up to and what they're engaging in. Um, But I'd love to hear more about how your unschooling has grown beyond that concern that you were looking at academics. And once you move from that, how did it grow from there into a lifestyle for you? Um,
1: yeah, I think, yes, we definitely lived in that place for a while of like our ver- version of homeschooling is unschooling. So when we're schooling, we are unschooling. <laughs> yeah, oh, <laughs> oh like beautifully, that. that's so beautiful. With that transition between. <laughs> Readed that for a long time and then and I you know my response to people sometimes they say like oh what kind of homeschool you know that's sort of a common question in homeschooling starts so you know like what do you do for or what do you use for math or whatever and I for a long time my response was oh we're kind of unschooly," because I knew from what I was reading you know in um Especially online in Facebook groups like and reading Sandra Dodd and stuff that there was this what I viewed as this far side of radical unschooling, and so I was like, okay, we don't do unschooling life, so we're, we're not radical unschoolers, we just unschooled the school park school park um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is funny to think about now, but also you know it's just that's what we did that's where we were, yeah, um, and it, you know. Uh, and so for me, I think that it came naturally and necessarily from being, realizing that really living the unschooling part, even in the schooly part, that if that joy was to exist, you know, I heard, I think I mentioned this before in the network and, um, he, hearing people on your podcast, or you, or, um, you know, other homeschoolers online, I would hear in their voices, see in their faces, this like effervescent, oh, bubbling joy of them living their lives with their kids, living this full unschooling lifestyle. And there was, you know, I wanted that, but it was so far from what my experience of life was at that moment in our season of life, I really believed that that was just fundamentally not available for me personally, that like, there was something maybe even not wrong with me, but like, I'm just not that kind of a person or I'm, you know, I'm smarter or I'm more complicated or I'm more broken or you had different reasons why that, that was not So I think I pushed that away (laughs) for a while, but as I came to sort of experiment with like the basic feeling of like, okay, a lot of this is feeling great. And these areas aren't, or I want, how can, I don't know. I sort of living more and more in the moment with my kids, not practicing mindfulness as a meditation, but for me, that meditation is being with my kids, with Micah, with our family together with myself having a return experience and return to that authenticity of being deeply invested in the moment and valuing that as a practice and a way of living. Even from the beginning attempts at that was so um, rewarding. I mean, I think that's kind of the wrong word. It's like self-reinforcing that what came back was that lift until you know, it was like a month or so ago, I looked at my cat and I was like, oh, this is it. I'm one of those people who wakes up and can't wait to see what we're going to do today, what we're going to talk about. I'm excited to see my kids. Whereas before I felt that I was arming myself for the day. Why? And feeling bad about why can't I be like those other people who are their default is joy <laughs> or their default is, are you really excited about doing that with your kids? Really? And then feeling bad about that thought, because, you know, in, I, I wanted to feel that way. I believed that that was an option, but it just didn't feel authentic to me. And returning to that, developing that practice that I think I had with my kids when they were infants of being watching Mindful watching and just being totally okay and a hundred percent in with that, and at the same time learning to advocate for my needs and myself, or just believe that that wasn't going to disrupt our day, that I didn't have to put myself on hold to repair later, at, you know, or get away. Mm-hmm. I think those things mixed together so to create this really sort of rapid spiral into this lifestyle of oh, okay, that's we're here we are. This is a way of being. And I no longer thought of unschooling as a way to approach school, or that's one way to do school, I guess, is in in an unschooly way. But Sort of unschooling as a lifestyle is choosing more and more, choosing who, what, what we want, what we value in our life, the relationships that we value, the experiences we value, and believing that that is our highest priority and that, and trusting that good will follow out of that it doesn't mean that everything is great, but that it is authentic and um, kind of true to ourselves. I think.
0: No. <laughs> <laughs> that, oh, thank you so much for sharing that. And I remember, I remember when you posted that in the network and you're like, you know, at first I thought y'all were just kind of crazy and, you know, your own kind of breed of people, <laughs> which was fine, but I love that. And I love the way you explained how, you know, of course, you were start you were unschooling your school, right? So during the day when you were engaging in doing the things, whatever, you know, you were following their interests and diving into that kind of stuff and supporting them that way. And that you started to gain experience with that, right? You started to see the joy and the fun and just um, the path, like how things flow. So you're starting to see that flow, and those sections for the most part i imagine the, you know the way you talked about it, they were going well right you were you were engaged with them you were having fun with them you were seeing you know the joy you were seeing the learning you were seeing you know how that branches into new places and then that was starting to bump up against the other parts of your life right that you Mm -hmm. now so now those were starting to become more obvious that they weren't as flowy or weren't as joyful that there were some bumps um you know on on outside of the school hours you know Mm -hmm. what i mean that's i mean that that's what it sounded like to me the way you're describing and then yeah then it's like oh so you know then you start questioning you know this approach that's working so well with the schooly stuff you know start to explore that approach with the other bumps, the lifey bumps, right? Mm-hmm. The lifestyle bumps. That is wow. that is brilliant, you know, such a way. Um, and that's very similar to the way it worked for me because I remember when I first read, <laughs> you know, Sandra Dodd and Joyce Federal, you know, that were online way back then in forums that they were. Mm-hmm. It was like, this is awesome, but I won't be doing that. You know? <laughs> This is great. I love it. Yeah, but I won't be doing that. You know, I remember that completely, right? Because that just seems super foreign. Mm-hmm. But once you gain some experience with it and start to see it in action, it's like, it's just learning other things, right? Learning things about life versus learning things that look schoolish. Right. Those more schoolish subjects. But in fact, it's all learning. And so just the slow expansion of it from the more academic subjects into the life bits that's just that's just so fascinating thanks very much for sharing that. and I think I
1: think for me certainly and I'm sure for other people too I think for some people it is the it is within them the right path to jump in and go all in and i um, uh, not all the knots and go for it for me it wasn't It was part of my, an important part of my journey, of our journey together to be able to say, we won't be doing that Uh, and realize that like, well, you know, I can come back to that later, but I'm not going to start from, because I think that for me, my personality, for Micah's personality, her kids would have been fine. (laughs) Um, I, that would have been, that would have made me withdraw again to sort of jump into those more radical places where we are still sort of teasing out those knots of, you know, there's always room for growth. And we have a lot of, you know, areas in which our house looks a lot different than maybe other unschoolers houses in various ways. And we're still sort of, if I, the more we can be super comfortable and And comfortable with pushing up against our discomfort, that's where the place where we can live richly and feel the freedom to go, hmm, well, what if we didn't say that was not okay? (laughs) You know, so we're sort of, you know, we're a little slower, maybe. Yeah.
0: And that feels right. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and that's why why I still love doing this podcast and talking to different families. Because the journey is so different, right? Like you said, some people are more comfortable jumping right in and trying and doing all the things and nodding that. And it depends on where we're starting. It is so individual. So that's why I just, I always love hearing people's journey, how they, how they discovered it, how they walked through it. Because, you know, there will be other people out there who can relate to each different story and just knowing the vast um, complex uh, expanse of different stories helps people understand just how individual unschooling is. Yeah. Yeah. which again leads so nicely into our next question, (laughs) because that's kind of the next paradigm shift that happens, right? That shift away from feeling those unschooling rules, like, you and I, when we said, well, that's not going to happen, we were We were seeing those as unschooling rules, right? Like unschoolers do this, right? You know, we were still in that point where we saw it as rules and that wasn't a rule yet that we were comfortable, mm-hmm. you know, following by not releasing, you know what I mean? <laughs> but anyway, so now we get to this nice next big juicy paradigm shift where we are really release the idea of there being rules and we start exploring what are the right choices for our unique family, which as you alluded to earlier, which is why unschooling can look so different in different families, can't it?
1: Mm-hmm. This has been a huge shift for me, you know, I think going back to that sort of systems thinking of like, oh, this is the way this is done. And um, not really trusting my innate wisdom (laughs) or that I even had any. Yep. Yep. (laughs) And, um, yeah. (laughs) Um, and I think so many of those ideas that I rejected at the beginning and that I still am wary about are come from my understanding or my interpretation or my impression of, what I see what I'm hearing from other families you know and saying like oh well unschooling means that if your kid wants you to jump on the trampoline with them at 3 a.m you have to do it and be excited about it and that's great (laughs) and going like okay well then we're just going to keep bedtime where it is because I can't even go there (laughs) (laughs) and realizing that like and, and seeing that there are all kinds of connected ways to have conversations about everything led me to, you know, the more we did that and realizing that I could still be open and curious and come to my kids without an agenda and really have the authentic conversation about things and still not... Over what I considered the deep end <laughs> led me to, <laughs> you know, that I realized, oh, that's a deep end for me. I'm sure things that I do are a deep end for other people, or just like, I oh, don't relate to that. And then coming to value what it is about our household, our family that makes it a vibrant unschooling place. You know, even I think in the beginning, reading about, oh, well, to unschool, you must strew these interesting items about the home. And, you know, I set up this nature kit with binoculars and a nature notebook. And so the kids can look at birds. And I was like, oh my gosh, we have to do this thing with the birds and the binoculars. And I, you know, I really latched onto those kind of, or, you know, I'm always interested in learning as an adult. I'm learning German and I'm also learning how to play the guitar. And I thought, I don't I don't really want to, I'm going to have to learn a language and I'm not really interested in that right now, ignoring this huge swath of intense conversation that we have going in our house at all times, that for us, our sort of panoply of ideas is sort of in the air, for, in our family that we're, we're all big talkers in case you can't tell. And you know everybody's always blah, 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 blah. Mike and I are always discussing some big thing, wrestling over an issue like intellectually like figuring something out, talking to Levon about his existential questions, talking to Eva about a piece of you know that, that swirl for us is the life of our home. That for other people might be like, oh my gosh, shut that off. I can't do that all day long. That's what I have to do as an unschooler, forget it. And so really coming to, you know, I think so much of it is about trust, trusting that you have the capacity you have and that your kids will step into that so long as what you're creating, for me, so long as what we're creating is authentic and present and mindful, that living any kind of a rich life like that is going to lead to wanting to seek out more richness and complexity and intellectual and creative endeavors. And that I don't, if I'm not into birds and my kids don't care about birds, I don't need to set up a binocular nature station. (laughs) But if they are, I'm ready to, you know, jump in and be like, Oh, what's, wow, I've never noticed that. Right. Like, but I think I still viewed it as originating from me in terms of what I was feeding them. And so, you know, like I'm providing all of this, which is not really interesting to me instead. I'm just going to talk about all the things that are interesting to me. And occasionally someone will be like, Oh, what's that? And then I'm going to respond a hundred percent to anything that is brought to me. Um, you kind of went off and didn't really answer the question but
0: <laughs> i think that was beautiful because that is entirely it like we can see how unschooling you know looks in other people's families like people are sharing what they're doing you know and i'm doing this and i'm doing this for them and we can we hear about 100 different families as we're scrolling through online and all of a sudden we feel like, oh my God, there's 100 different things we need to do, right? (laughs) And you think, I need to, you know, show them the whole world and, you know, that it's, that they're very well-rounded and, you know, these are all subjects that they should have some exposure to. Like, we can really get caught in that swirl when we think of it as, um, I still think of it as our job you know what I mean? When we're yeah. saying that we need to, our job is to bring all this stuff and make sure they're exposed to all these things. Which is exhausting when you think about it that way. <laughs> yes, it is. And that shift to understanding, like I, weigh you, I love the way you describe the richness of your family, what unschooling looks like for your family, because it's about the unique people in your life, right? So it's for you guys, it's so much about conversations, so much about ideas and, you know, just helping them by, by getting them access to the, the coding platform, you know, and helping them having those conversations and the music and, and like, I've always been, it's always been so interesting, um, you know, in families where music is um, a big part of their lives or weaves through their lives. So often it's because there's a parent Who is into music? And so it's just, it is the background of the people in the family, maybe, or maybe not the child picks up on it, but if a parent's interested in it, it becomes part of the fabric of that family. Right. And that it's the fabric that's important and the unique individuals. Right. And it's, it's all about, and that's where you get to the part where it's like, it's not, we have to do all this before they turn 18. Right. Right. Yeah. When they they when they're curious about birds, they could be 25 or whatever. But then that's when they can dive in. We can dive in. We can help. Like you know, when my kids are interested, when your husband's interested in something new, right? Mm-hmm. If you find something related, you're going to bring it to him now because you know, oh, all of a sudden he's interested in this thing. Like that's how we're people engaged together in a family. And but when you sometimes when you share it online and newer people see it, they're like, oh, they they take that in as an expectation. Although you're just happily, excitedly sharing the cool things that you guys happen to be doing. Right. But then when you see 100 people, (laughs) they're so excited about birds and, you know, they're so excited about mountains and they're so excited about snowflakes. (laughs) You know, that's all, you just feel bombarded by that. But the realization that, no, what's important is what's striking your own family's curiosity at the moment. What's mm-hmm. making them light up. So I love that because it can look so different in every single family. But the foundation is the same, right? Because you're just excitedly pursuing whatever anybody's curious about, right? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love song. that. So cool. <laughs> okay, so now we're going to take another step deeper on our journey. And now, and you talked about this a little bit as well. Our self-awareness begins to grow, right? And you mentioned not coming into conversations with your kids with an agenda. That's something I think that that comes as our self-awareness grows and we start to realize, oh, we kind of want this conversation to take a particular path right? You know, even if we don't verbalize it, that's where the self-awareness piece is so important because so often it's just kind of ingrained in us at this point. We've grown up with, oh, this is the way this should flow. This is the way that should flow. So it, even if we don't state it, it can easily come across to our kids in our energy, right? Even in how we react to things they say, You know, something that's not along our path, we go, well, we can think about that. And then something that is closer to the path, oh, yeah, maybe we can do that. You know, just see animation Uh on our face. (laughs) But when we shift away from showing up to conversations um, with an agenda and more to, as you mentioned earlier, just being open and curious about where things might go, it really does make a world of difference to our conversations, doesn't it? Mm
1: Mm-hmm. And I think, yes, I mean, it. And this is something I'm still walking through a lot. I mean, I'm living with kind of a, a heightened awareness of it, you know, because of you know, work we're doing in the network and in the summit and also just thinking about, um, I think I hadn't noticed how much I do that. I think I would have said like, like well, I don't do that. But in those really subtle ways, whether, yeah, the expression or the tone of voice, or even what my internal reaction is that I'm fighting in the response. Um, And I think the shift from having kind of hard line limits of, oh, we just have, we only do video games on the weekend for this amount of time. to let let's have a conversation about this, how I feel about it, how you feel about it, what could be a different way to do this that's where the gray area enters for me to have the agenda. Like I realized that some of my conversations were, well, I'm open to talking about that. So long as we end up at a place that I think is reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> and One of the, you know, we'd done this a couple of times and Levon was like, Oh, cool. Yeah. I think a, I was like, well, how long would you like to do that? And he was like, um, five minutes. And I was like, okay. My instinct would say like five minutes is too short. You're not going to like that. But I was like, okay, let's try it. And then he was like, oh, that's really short. I'm like, okay. He's like, how about half an hour? Like, awesome. I love that response in my mind, right? (laughs) Still working with these, you know, this is a process of where we're at. And then the next time we had that conversation, I said, and he said, well, I have to stop because you said I could do this for X amount of time. Well, I'm, I'm open to discussing that. We started talking about, and he said, I don't think you're really open to discussing that. I think you know how long you want me to do that, but you're just saying you're open to discussing it, but it's going to be your rule anyway. <laughs> I was like, you're exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> just, you know, can see through that so clearly. And I realized instantly what that agenda for me creates is, or is evidence of a mistrust, right? Mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't trust that he's able to, step into that conversation with me and create a dialogue that will be fulfilling for everybody. I think I still need to control that, right? It's like a trust and control issue. So, and, you know, the other day, even I were having a conversation with Levon about something we wanted to, some way we wanted to change something in our house, long story. Anyway, Levon had said no for these finite reasons that makes me feel this way. And in my mind, and I could tell, just sort of seeing Eva's face, I could tell that I felt well. Maybe he doesn't fully understand all of the options or what's really. So let me kind of phrase this a different way. And we kind of came at it a couple of different ways. And he so angry, straightforward, just said, "I already told you how I feel." I thought, I don't know. That's so awful. I'm sorry. Like, I just, I really wasn't uh, really listening, <laughs> you know? And so I think, you know, I really take that to heart that, like, that agenda walks up all over somebody's feelings and in, implies mistrust and disconnection. And so when I see, th- and that when I bring an agenda, maybe it' was just kind of a sweetening the deal kind of agenda of like, let's go do this thing or I really want to move this bed over here because I think it would be better and you can see out the window, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. is that... Uh, <laughs> um, kind of creating a template for like, well, I don't trust what you think. Do you really, do you really trust yourself? Right? Like what I want for my kids is to trust their deep instinct about what is right and feels right for them. This doesn't mean we do everything they want to do all the time or don't ever go to the store. I think sometimes people think like, well, if you don't control the narrative how do you get anything done? Um, but when i come at something with an agenda i'm not having an authentic conversation so they there's no other way to respond but defensively i think to sort of hold on to hold tight to what you what they want whereas if you come into it really at face value of like hey this is what i'm thinking or i need to do this thing how should we work it out that they can drop their agenda and their defenses and offer collaborative solutions or ideas and feel very secure in saying, Mm-mm, not for me. Yes. <laughs> you know, yes. We need to find a different solution where I'm not doing that thing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so. Yeah.
1: Um, <laughs> that's been huge. Especially, too, in, in sort of in the area of sibling conflict, too. I think you and Anna in the network really helped me with this. I think for so long I was coming in with the agenda of solving a problem and being the arbiter and dropping that agenda and just being there to listen and reflect and validate for everybody and keep everybody physically safe and um, has been enormous. I mean, just it's, yeah, that's been so huge. And it, it happened so fast. It was like, my kids didn't need to get used to, they were just like, oh, this is so much better, you know, (laughs) just like, oh, mom, can you come over? We need you to stand here, you know, because they know that I'm not, well, I've listened to both sides, or I've decided this, or this is the way we handle this, that, and that I can feel that I am truly a part of that interaction, that it's not like, oh, God, I have to come over and decide this thing. And that it can really feel I mean it's not I guess it's not fun like in that conventional sense but it's real it's real work that we all feel good about afterwards even if we're not feeling good about the outcome we feel I think the difference is feeling true to ourselves that someone didn't apply an agenda to us and that it can feel like this is that's our that's That's the meat of our life. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing for the next mm, half an hour. Hour is talking through this thing. (laughs) And that agenda piece has been, you know, I'm still super working. That conversation with Levan was just two days ago. You know, it's a thing all people do. But being aware of it makes it so easy to go, oh, you're right. Whoa, I totally messed up on that. Let me start again. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and, I'm, you know, it's not something to realistically have this expectation of ourselves that we'll never do. I think the self-awareness piece is the important piece, is the realizing, oh, you know, I really want this to go a certain way. And once you notice that, when you dig down a little bit more, you can figure out why. What is it about this path that I'm attracted to that's so important to me? Because then you've got more information to actually bring to that authentic conversation right? You're bringing your needs and your wishes instead of the path, instead of the solution, right? So giving up your path forward, you know, releasing your path forward doesn't mean giving up why you thought that path was going to work for you. It means all of a sudden being open to more paths, really, right? When you come open and curious, With your needs, a context of the situation that you can bring to the conversation. That's why we we always talk about, as we talked about earlier, it's not about being martyrly, not about giving up our needs, right? In the conversation, not about saying, okay, whatever you want, we'll do it that way, but bringing us as a real person to those conversations and what our needs are, but being open and curious to see what they can bring to the conversation. Because as you were saying each time, right? Is that trust piece, but it's, it is, we communicate that we don't think our kids are capable. Like you were saying, going into those conversations, like, do I really want to leave it open for what he's going to think? It's because we don't think at whatever age they are, that they're capable of considering our needs, bringing that into the conversation. But like you said, how quickly it's gone because they truly are, aren't they? <laughs> and that's exactly it, right? Like that
1: they, a human being is, you know, we love each other. They are very interested in my needs, in my person. I'm very interested in their needs and their person. They have no idea how to address or even desire to address my anxieties and fears, right? Like if I bring anxiety or fear instead of bringing my needs, that it's so easy to respond to that type of human interaction. And that's where you see, like, they just step right in there. And I think that's the difference is we think coming from another paradigm that, like, well, they're not going to be able to think about me. And then really thinking, like, who am I bringing? Like, have I ever really brought
0: just myself? <laughs> not. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that just tied up in so nicely with what you were saying earlier, because when we come in with that agenda, even unspoken, when we're bringing in, we're coming in with that energy, they have to meet us with that energy, that defensiveness, yeah. right? They have to defend themselves in their position. So mm-hmm. we don't see them thinking about us because we're not really thinking about them. We're coming in with our agenda. So they have to meet us with their agenda and then we have to battle. Yeah. But as soon as we come open, they can, you know, and, and it depends on the child and how how many years, like the transition is theirs, again, uniquely to own, right? But I I mean, I had the same experience. It was so quick for them to get to that open place. It's like, oh, finally, they're letting them, letting me be myself in this conversation, right? Yeah. And then they bring their creativity. They bring so many interesting things you know back to that joy piece it's like well no i can't imagine i could ever like like you said like have fun in those situations like they're not literally fun but like you said they're real mm-hmm. they're really us and they take however long they take and they just bring such a a, a new perspective a new light i think mm-hmm. to like even if when you're brainstorming the beginning you know sometimes You you get like that's a crazy solution. That's a crazy solution, especially you know even with sibling con conflicts, right? We still come with you know what we think is fair, but we soon realize that it doesn't matter what we think is fair, which is why it feels so good not to have to arbitrate their their conflicts, right? But to be there to hear and listen and to help them, if you know, because sometimes we might notice. We might notice that little body language clue from one child who isn't yet, maybe it hasn't really realized yet enough to verbalize yeah. what it is that they're feeling. So, you know, we add value to the conversation that way. Totally. Mm-hmm. It's not leaving them to themselves to try figure it out, but it is, it is our family. And especially when they come and ask, oh, can you come, can you come stand with us while we're working this out or whatever, because you can add those little pieces of, the conversation sometimes sometimes they just want your presence and they'll let you know that too yeah but those real authentic conversations versus you know trying to push them to the path that we think is the right answer it's just just night and day right yeah
1: and in learning so much about them or things that you know but trusting that that's okay like one of my kids love wants to just talk about the whole situation mom we got to talk about this with so and so and one wants to have a little time by themselves and take some time and then be done with it, come back and just sort of, and I really interpreted that as like, ooh, that's not, it's, it's good, quote unquote, to talk everything through. And I I'm realizing like, oh, okay, you need that time. Other person, this person needs this time. You know that about them. So mm-hmm. you tell me how you feel and we'll come back together later or i'll sit with you until that person is done you know like that and being okay with that or really embracing that as a a valid method of coping with conflict that it's not all going to look one way and then the other thing you said about not being a martyr that's not what it's about that i think that sometimes is a piece that is missing when we hear about this you know in you know, online forums or whatever, that it can look like, oh, you just do whatever the kids want. And you're this bedraggled woman doing all the cleaning and staying up all night and, and missing the piece that what the of, of really, it's kind of the opposite that you are bringing yourself, you're not bringing a role of being put up upon or not put upon it's about and that you are expressing your needs and you're making choices based on how that works out with your family that was big for me too to see that like oh I'm just gonna step into this and be this person with needs and we're all gonna respond to each other with
0: (laughs) and the the fascinating beautiful thing is that as you fully embrace being in the moment and making choices, you may find yourself on the trampoline at 3 a.m. Oh, for like sure. Completely a different experience than you first thought, right? It's like you're not dragging yourself up to go, oh, my God, I'm not going to be doing that. Yeah, you get to a mindset where, hey, look, I'm in this moment where I'm, I am awake. I'm okay. And, yeah. oh, boy, that sounds exciting. They look really excited about that. That would be fun. And then out you are. But if... It's, it's the same situation if somebody said, hey, we were out at 3 a.m. jumping on the trampoline. Boom. But who you are and bring to yeah. that, what you bring to that, you see completely different things. That could have been a really exciting choice versus a martyrly choice. Oh, my God, they're up. I must do that. Right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much. I love that. Okay. So I would love to know what has surprised you most? about your unschooling journey so far?
1: Um, yes, I really thought about this when, when I saw your question, I thought, hmm, that's such a hard question to answer. I realized, oh wait, sometimes something is so big that you just, you just skip over it in your mind. It, by far the fact that, the, that this is how self revelatory this process is, that it's not about schooling or unschooling or education or not education you know, and there is that lifestyle piece, but that I, what surprised me is how much hinges on my self-growth, how much this really leads me to self-inquiry, self-reflection. This has been such an, um, a huge season of growth for me as a person, not just, or not only with my kids, but In all of my relationships, in my marriage, in my relationship with myself, in my relationship with random people that I interact with, sort of who I am in the world, that this is, that's what this is about, is like being that person who's doing that on their journey and inviting that level of living from our intimate people Um, that has been the most surprising because I think, you know, as all the things we've been talking about, looking at all of these external ways to apply when really the work has been for me, you know, the kids are, the kids, um, have been unschooling (laughs) their whole lives (laughs) and with some annoying adults trying to get them to do other things a little bit. It's not about them learning how to be unschooled, you know, um, and that it's not about, um, Oh, this is a period of my life where I'm being an unschooler, or I'm being a homeschooler, and then at some point I will, my kids will go off to college or move out, and I will get to pay attention to myself or whatever. You <laughs> know, this is this is the most I've ever paid attention to myself, and to see how what an unselfish endeavor that is, that how that um, is so vital to living a. T- different life than I had imagined. Um, And for that, I am just immensely grateful.
0: Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. That was, that was a spectacular answer and insight, you know, that, that actually all the the self-reflection and the digging into things uh, about ourselves is such an unselfish act in that we can now more freely, and like you have been saying, the whole call, authentically engage with the people in our lives. Instead of bringing those roles and those expectations of what who we think we should be in those engagements, mm-hmm. taking that time to understand ourselves means we can so much more unselfishly engage with others and actually hear them. See yeah. and hear them because we don't have to come and defend and push this, um, view of ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, that we think we need to have and be in, in mm-hmm. those conversations. That's spectacular. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. It was so much fun. Oh,
1: it was so great. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. And learned so much just in this conversation.
0: (laughs) Thanks. Yeah. I I I loved it. I loved it. I mean, it went so many juicy places. I am so excited to share it. Thank you. And before we go, where can people connect with you online?
1: Oh, I don't have a very I don't have a blog or anything like that. Um my Instagram is icicles and birthday clothes. And I'm not really great about posting. (laughs) But every (laughs) once in a while. There was a snapshot of us doing our thing. Um, yeah. That's right. Well, again, that's not an expectation that <laughs> are available online. I just I love there. to see other people. I just can't seem to come up with it, but that's, yeah. <laughs> but maybe could be different next month. Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. That's awesome. Thanks so much, Lucy. Have Thanks. a great day. Thanks. Bye. Bye. I hope you found this episode helpful on your unschooling journey. And be sure to check out the wonderful archive of earlier podcast episodes. The conversations never go out of date. And you can find more information about my books, my Patreon community, and the Childhood Redefined Unschooling Summit at my website, livingjoyfully.ca. Have a great day.